welcome to the Chirpin' Birds podcast. It's been a little while. Uh, there's been a, a big free agent signing for the defense. There's been a front office shakeup. OTAs have started. Uh, and there's a uh, updated uh, coaching play calling related n- note, uh, which we're recording Saturday, June 4th in the morning. That that news has been out on Twitter, but uh, we'll we'll talk about our thoughts on 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 it. Not to tease something that's already been out. Uh, anyway, before we get started, uh, Mike, how you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, had a nice little break here. Um, this is kind of like a roundup episode, but we are coming off of the first day of OTA, so there is a bit more fresh news here, and I'm, I'm excited to talk about the Eagles. Uh, we also haven't. Correct me if I'm wrong. Were the Sixers still in the playoffs last time we talked? Um, May 15th, I believe, was our last. That's actually a pretty good question. Let me see here. I want to say they still were in it if that we was, didn't talk about them. Uh, actually, I don't think so. Okay, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, Sixers heat Thursday, May 12th. And then we recorded May 15th, Sunday, May 15th, which was the last before that uh, afternoon, uh, the Phillies were looking pretty good, taking three, the first three <laughs> uh, in L.A. And they yeah, I think I even mentioned like, all right, Phillies, not to put a jinx on it, but Phillies coming in pretty hot recently. And ever since then, and, stuff has gone very yeah. Very now cold. they just fired Joe Girardi. Uh, Rob Thompson becomes the interim for presumably the rest of the year. I don't know how that works. Like he, they, they announced he's the interim the rest of the year. I assume they're going to do their their managerial, you know, search. interview process, search whatever. But um, I, I don't know if anyone's like available that they could hire midseason if that's even done. No, midseason you typically want to just an internal like band-aid, but sometimes those guys stick around, you know, if the team does respond and, you know, the interim coach does a good enough job, it's not uncommon for that guy to stick around. But typically that is thought of kind of like, you know, a bit of a boring, like unsexy, like, all right, like, it was, you know, he was, he was, he was already in the clubhouse. What more could he be bringing to the table? But yeah, sometimes they respond well. The, the press conference, they were talking a lot about communication, new voice in the room, that kind of thing. I think Jeff Passan or Jason Stark, somebody had a tweet saying like they thought that they needed a new voice in the locker room and uh, they went internal with that voice. And I thought that that was kind of uh, telling or I don't know. It, it sounded kind of um, snarky, snarky. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, but, uh, anyway, the, the big news from, uh, a few days after our last recording, the Eagles signed cornerback James Bradbury to a one-year deal worth up to 10 million, uh, about seven and a quarter, or that is seven and a quarter million guaranteed. Uh, he was really good with the Panthers, good with the giants, had a not as good year last year. Um, He's only 29, I believe. Yep. 
twenty nine. So I know that this is kind of old news now, but like, try to take us back to what your first reaction was like when you heard the news. What was your gut reaction? I. It it kind of felt like um. Be, because he he was like the last there. There's nobody else like becoming available and there was the rumor that he was going to get cut and uh and it's a clear need for this team it kind of felt like when daryl morey first started and got seth curry um uh and danny green or he got danny green yeah well he traded al horford that's oh yeah got off al horford got uh, uh, Danny Green from that and traded for Seth Curry. Um, like it, it was a move that they, you know, that made a lot of sense and the fit was there and he's a good player. I think it's a little overhyped that, um, I, don't, I don't know. I Like he's definitely very good. Um, I, I think getting so excited that it's the best corner duo in the league with, um, you know, Slay getting older, not, not knowing exactly how he's going to age. Like some guys gradually decline and some guys have a drop off year. Uh, Bradbury didn't have a great year last year. So, um, and it's a one year prove it deal with uh, one year prove it deals. Recently uh, we haven't, had a you know eric wilson i think was a one-year type prove it type deal anthony, anthony harris, harris was a one-year deal um steven nelson you know i don't i don't know that he got such a good deal um uh, I, I don't even remember what deal he got it was probably another one one or two year deal um yeah i believe it was a one-year deal with the texans yeah i so, forget what the dollars were uh you know, he's definitely really good. I think on paper, they could be one of the best duos. Everyone's saying they're the best duo since Lido and Sheldon. Uh, I think I'm like excited and it, it'll be nice to to see, but it hasn't really hit me. But I was I think I was re- pretty reserved uh, when they signed. It was just like I remember I, I, I it was like early in the morning. I was probably eating my breakfast, sipping coffee. I look at my phone and I just nod. I was like, yes. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. They should do that. And then, and then that was it. I wasn't like losing my mind. I think the Hassan Reddick signing was more exciting. Mm-hmm. I'm of course more of a defensive line guy and understanding how this team values, you know, the trenches and what, or what this team values. I think that the cornerback position is, um, you know, obviously not as valued, so it's not as exciting. I don't know. I think maybe Howie or Jeff Laurie or the Eagles in general might have conditioned me to value the same things they do just because of how ingrained in the team uh, I am. So mm-hmm. that that's kind of how I felt. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And I do think that there, there should be a middle ground. Like, ah. You know, I'll be impressed if um, they end up being like a top three corner duo in the league. So, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get ahead of myself as far as saying like they're going to be like up there. But I do think that a very solid group. I think it is a 
a significant um, jump from Steven Nelson. And like, we both know that Steven Nelson was very competent and available last year, but you know, he was, he was a steady guy. I do think Bradbury looking at his recent stats, like he does get a lot of pass breakups and interceptions and, you know, pairing that with Darius Slay, I do think that it'll make for a more formidable duo. And again, that's not any shade towards Steven Nelson. I think he did a very good job, especially for when they signed him last year as like a nice steady veteran Bradbury. Um, I would say even coming off of his last season, which was um, he had a worse season compared to his career average. I, I think that like the, it's, I'd say it's a significant bump in the talent. Um, I also think it's pretty cool that of, of the reports, Bradbury um, had interest from a good amount of teams and he ended up choosing the Eagles um, for a big reason, which was he, he liked the defensive system or at least the one that they've sold him and their, their wooing of him. So we know he is a good uh, zone coverage cornerback. He's not much of a one-on-one or sorry, a man cornerback. Uh, He's got good size. So I'll be interested to see how they kind of divvy up who slay and who Bradbury uh, pair off with if they, have them tied to just, you know, the best receiver and their biggest receiver, or if Bradbury would take the better of the two receivers, if that was like a big guy, like a Mike Evans, for instance. So I'll be interested to see how that works out, but I really like it. I think it's, um, it's an affordable deal. I'm glad the Eagles were able to get him because I, I think that was one of the big holes that they had left at this point in the off season. And like, they didn't only fill it. I think they like, they nailed it and it is, it's a bit more gratifying uh, knowing that he's going from like quote unquote quarterback one for the giants to quarterback two for the Eagles. Like I do think that is good context. Like he was the guy for the past few seasons who was entrusted with covering the best wide receiver with on the other side of, um, you know, for the Giants. So he won't be tasked with that uh, number one assignment most weeks. And I think that that'll help him even more here with the Eagles. Yeah, that Darius Slay's age has been brought up a lot. And uh, if he were to get hurt, it's nice to know that you have James Bradbury to fill in that spot. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't heard much about the the reverse. Like if I, I guess my neutrality i mean i i'm excited that that he's an eagle and it's an exciting signing and i'm glad that they signed him uh i think it's bigger than the signing like they're they don't really have cornerback depth and um you know maddox is a really good slot corner but that a corner two uh, if Bradbury gets hurt or, or slay, I mean, really that you're filling that other spot with like Zach McPherson, who hasn't proved like a, a lot of times the last few years, if a cornerback gets hurt or, uh, whether it's for a couple of plays or a couple of weeks, uh, there's always, it seems like there's always the game where they 
keep throwing to the same receiver that's on the the guy the third string guy or the fourth string guy that comes in uh that gets roasted every the whole game so um i i still think cornerback obviously is a is a weakness the but as long as they're both healthy i think that it won't be an issue but if there is an injury which every year there's always one or two like you know season ending injuries from like significant guys i mean i guess it's been injury prone people like brandon brooks um recently isaac sayomalu has been hurt a lot lately uh which is obviously the other side of the ball but um the the depth at corner i think is you know a little troubling i understand you can't have great depth at every single position group but um uh, i think as long as they're both healthy it's really exciting and if only one's on the field then there's they're kind of where they were before the Bradbury signing where they only have one really viable guy. Yeah. I'm going to push back a little bit there. I think if you look at most teams, once you go to the first or second guy off the bench in cornerbacks, like you're going to be seeing relatively the same caliber of talent, whether that is like a cheap veteran, like a journeyman quarterback, sorry, cornerback or a young and unproven or untested cornerback. And like, I'm perfectly fine with that being uh, Zach McPherson or, you know, a Tay Allen or, you know, like I I do think like McPherson, he is coming into a second year was a fourth round pick. Like, I don't think fans or like, I, I, that's kind of normal. Like if, if one of your starters goes down, that's the type of guy that comes up and, you know, good or bad, like those are the guys who get that opportunity. And I just don't know what would be a fair expectation of that, um, that third or fourth cornerback, if you want to count uh, Maddox and that I, I think, you know, across the rosters in the NFL, that, that player coming off the bench isn't like, you're not going to be able to find a quality cornerback who's willing to be off the field when all starters are healthy, in my opinion. So I think like they're probably like league average in that department, you know, when you grade out who their starters are and who that first or second guy off the bench would be. Yeah. I think that's uh, a little generous. I mean, maybe I'm, I'm just like, I view Tay Gowan and all these like seventh round guys we just got in like, you know, as Gallon was a fifth round pick, I want to say. Yeah. Well, um, he was the one from Arizona. Yeah, in the arts trade. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that some of it is like they at one point had Sidney Jones and Rasul Douglas on top of like. I don't know, like Ronald Darby or uh, Jalen Mills. Jalen Mills. Um, so all these guys, I think, like I'd that, say, it's that, fair to be skeptical of them, but I feel like you're writing them off. Like we haven't, we haven't seen what they're I'm, able to do. I, I don't think I'm field. writing them off. I just think that like Sidney Jones and Rasul Douglas, even though when they were here, were disappointing. They were. Uh, I would say they were league average and like Tay Gow and Zach McPherson 
uh, Michael, like Michael Jaquette, he's not on the team anymore, but like those guys feel like borderline practice squad level guys. So I, it, like I'm, I'm just saying that the drop off from Slay and Bradbury, even though they're both basically cornerback ones, shouldn't be to like guys that would probably be on a practice squad or that are like projects. Like there should be a, a middle, a middle ground between that as your backups. Uh, you say that they're league average. I, I don't know if I agree. I mean, the, I agree that they're unproven. Zach I'm not saying probably that, better. I'm than saying they're league average squad. across the rosters. Like, I think if you looked at other teams, I'm not saying that like that you could throw McPherson in um, the cornerback two spot and you get league average production. What I'm trying to say is if you look at any, like if you line up the um, they're all backs across the league, McPherson if you go caliber. To, if you go to the fourth or fifth quarterback, you're going to find somebody similar, whether that's a, a journeyman cornerback or a young and untested cornerback who's, you know, learning the ropes. Like you're not going to be finding starter quality um, cornerbacks in the fourth and fifth well, spots on other teams either. So would you rather have, let's say one of Slayer Bradbury gets hurt and you mm-hmm. need a, a cornerback in this case too, because if either one of them gets hurt, the, they'll have a one. Would you rather Maddox move to the outside or McPherson get the cornerback two spot? Yeah, I, I think that based off of their, um, you know, Maddox, I, th- I think if it's just the first guy, I would be more than comfortable in seeing what McPherson can do, like giving him that chance. Because if you took him in the fourth round a year ago, and you're not willing to put him on the outside, like why'd you even draft him? I think you at least have to give him a chance. If it was, um, you know, the he guy played a little Mc... last year. Yeah, and I think he held up in short periods. It's just I don't think he got like any sort of complete grade on what he can do, just in his limited snaps. So I would say uh, first guy off the bench would happy to give that to McPherson if you go a bit. If you go into like the next one and you're talking about like Gowan or Mac McCain or whoever they got in that long list of guys, I think then I would probably, you know, see what Maddox could do putting him back out there in that second. Because then I think um, you'd probably feel okay putting like Josiah, Josiah Scott as the backup nickel rather. Like I think there might be less of a difference at that point. But I, I think McPherson, like I think they would have been – comfortable seeing how he was in training camp before Bradbury as that second cornerback. So I kind yeah. of would go that I, way. I, I just, I just hesitate to move guys out of their natural position or the position that they've carved out for themselves. Like uh, I, there was talk about sitting or moving Landon Dickerson to the right side uh, last year and I was glad that they kept him at left guard and mm-hmm. Maddox just got his extension and he played in his natural spot uh, all last year so um, I don't know I think maybe I'm just uh, like jaded from expecting players to you know having the Sixers just get eliminated and expecting them to to get better and people are worse and uh, I, I'm just kind of like at present, 
this is how I see like Zach McPherson and these guys as, you know, Zach McPherson being the better of that group of guys you named, but um, I, I don't, I don't know that any of them are good enough to like keep, give, give them a average production if someone were to go down. So yeah, and I, I do think the other part of it is they have this very large group of young, untested cornerbacks. I don't think it's a bad thing to figure out what they have to offer for the team going forward because we know that Slay is getting older. We know Bradbury's on a one-year deal. You need to figure out what you have in this young group to see who can stick around in the future just so you know what you have to fill in once these guys' contracts expire. So, you know, if McPherson, you know, it's, it's funny that we're – yeah, we just haven't even seen him play enough to get a good read on him. But I think they should be. Um, there was some like uh, tape, like Brian Baldinger or something, post game tape on him that uh, he made like a couple pretty big mistakes. I mean, uh, obviously rookies are going to make them, but um, uh, I, I don't know. It feels like, you know, seeing earlier tape on JJ Ortega Whiteside, like not running the correct route and that kind of stuff. So I think that um, I, I just have a low expectation for Zach McPherson. Um, Come on. Based off of what? Based off of the amount no, of I, I, th- I think this, I think over the course of the summer and through training camp will at least from reading reports and seeing what the beat writers I, are I agree it's too saying. early I think to we'll, write him off. We'll start to get a better idea of what this what the pecking order is in this young group of cornerbacks. And I think, you know, eventually sometime this season we'll start to get a look at what they I don't have think to the offer. pecking order matters. Uh, if he's the fourth corner, if he's the fourth corner, I'm just saying it might not be confident. No, no, I mean the pecking order within the, you know, the non-starters. You know, like where, sure. where's okay. where's Gallon, well, where's I, McCain, I, where's Vincent? If McPherson's not the top uh, bench corner, then I think that that's that's a disappointing pick. Well, I I think that you maybe that's just me giving uh, room for one of those guys taking or like surprising. You know, if if not McPherson's bad, but Gowan's just really uh, kind of flashing in training camp. You know, that's not the worst thing. It means that he's probably higher than most of fans were expecting. Yeah, but yeah, I, I agree. I, I mean, McPherson but they're also the guy. competing against each other as, uh, as you know, late round picks trying to make the team, or you know, it's if they have a really good training camp, that uh, that you know, I w- I won't I won't change my stance until I see game production. You know, and maybe they won't get enough uh, enough snaps, but uh, I I don't think having a good training camp makes it makes a difference. I think you're you know I won't be confident in Zach McPherson unless there's an injury and he sees significant playing time and plays well. Um, that that's kind of where I'm at with him. But uh, let's let's move on. Uh, they speaking of corners, they claimed uh, cornerback Jimmy Moreland. He was a seventh round pick. Um, picked off Carson Wentz. Uh, Texans waived him last year. Eagles claimed him. 
he's another one of these practice squad might get, yeah might end up another not if we didn't have guys. enough they found another um but yeah it was a seventh round pick in 2019 what is interesting about him was he he did see pretty immediate playing time with the commanders so he isn't like a mac mccain or a carry vincent jr like he has seen a good amount of playing time so far in his career um he didn't make the final roster last year for the commanders he was claimed by the Texans. The Texans waived him. So he's never been a free agent. So, like, I mean, that, that to me, that kind of inspires some, uh, some interest in him that he's never just kind of been sitting around. He, so he's still in his rookie deal. Eagles picked that up. And I think he's probably going to be fighting for the backup nickel position with Josiah, Josiah Scott and whoever else is in that um, position group. So I think he's a, you know, potential bottom of the roster name of uh, note. And we'll see where, you know, that whole group kind of nets out, but yeah, it's a new name. I think it's good that they're taking a lot of guys and swings on these players because after that top tier starters, it is kind of a fluid situation as far as, who the backups are and who the cornerbacks of the future could be, even if they are more backups and starters. Yeah. And I, I wonder if they pick a guy who's more valuable on special teams than necessarily a good corner. Yeah. That's also a good point. And, yeah. you know, with Carson now at the commanders, do they put Jimmy Moreland out there? Yeah. Uh, first snap of at first spot the game at, game at the link, you know, just to kind of rattle him. <laughs> That would be funny. Um, uh, some more news, uh, front office uh, shakeup. Uh, I think we mentioned a couple people had been uh, hired elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, most notably, Eagles uh, VP of Player Personnel, Andy Wydell, is now the Steelers' uh, new assistant GM. Uh, he was... I. I I believe he addressed the media with Howie after the draft. So he mm-hmm. was, yeah. you know, instrumental in uh, the draft. And yeah, what's, what's interesting there was, um, you know, he didn't get that GM job, which was a very uh, thorough search around the NFL. And that was kind of looming this whole off season. Um, so it was a bit of a surprise to see, like, I guess it, it's kind of like a halfway surprise. Like I thought if, he would be leaving the Eagles would be for the GM spot, but he gets the assistant GM, which makes him the fourth uh, former Eagles front office member of the season to be promoted and um, lost from the Eagles to that title. So it was Andy Wydell, now the Steelers GM, Catherine Raich, uh, who was the former VP of football operations with the Eagles. She now goes and joins the Browns with former um, I forget what his title was with the Eagles, but Andrew Barry um, had that short uh, time with the Eagles. He's now the GM for the Browns. They also lost uh, Ian Cunningham, who was the director of player personnel with the Eagles. He's now the assistant GM with the Bears. And his uh, co-director of player personnel, um, who was Brandon Brown, He's now the assistant GM with the Giants. 
So they've lost a lot of um, director level front office members this season. And Andy Wydell was certainly the biggest. He was kind of the closest how he had to an assistant GM. And now he's the assistant GM with the Steelers. And, um, you know, he had a pretty big impact with his time with the Eagles. He and he came in with Joe Douglas and, um, you know, how he's kind of, so he has a more, not that like now how he has control, but he, I feel like this certainly seems like he has a more focused grasp of the Eagles front office, considering like Andy Wydell did have a big impact and same with Joe Douglas until he left, left for the uh, Jets GM position. Yeah. So uh, sort of a mass exodus. I know a few people were, uh, promoted internally. Um, John Ferrari uh, was the VP of Football Operations and Compliance. He's now assistant GM. Uh, Alec Hallaby, uh, former VP of Football Operations and Strategy. I don't know what any jobs do. I'm just reading the release here. Uh, he's he's co-assistant GM. So um, they. Uh, were the internal hires that are now assistant GM. Uh, this release, I think, came out yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they, they lose a lot of front office people, um, uh, rightfully so. I mean, they've had a really good uh, draft and offseason generally, I, I think, uh, overall, like uh, – a couple weeks into free agency, we were pretty disappointed. Uh, Hassan Reddick was kind of like the, the darling of the free agent class for us. And uh, now with what you do with the draft and with Bradbury and all this stuff, I, you know, they're a pretty formidable team. They kind of remind me of uh, the Colts a bit last year where they had the team and the question mark was quarterback. Uh, I think that's pretty much the, status of the Eagles this year. Um, Mm -hmm. And so all these people who are likely involved in a meaningful capacity over the last couple of years, especially this year, I mean, uh, you know, Devontae Smith turned out to be a really good pick. The the last couple of years have been pretty solid. Um, People turn to the, uh, I think, 2018 draft. Uh, Every pick was pretty much a a hit with – you know, Mylotta in the seventh round, Goddard in the second, Maddox, I think um, Matt Pryor even was pretty valuable for uh, an, an amount of time. So, uh, yeah, they've had uh, they've had some success the last few years. I think Rager was the, the biggest bust um, right. I can think of. So, um, yeah, what's interesting to me is we've never seen Howie Roseman have an assistant GM. So in the season, in the off season where he lost four of his executives to promotions to that title elsewhere, um, they have two internal promotions to that same title. So this is the first time how he's ever had uh, people underneath him with that title. So essentially that, you know, that, that, what that says to me is like, he, he really values these two candidates internally. Um, not to say that he didn't value the others, but the only way uh, Ferrari and Hallaby go elsewhere is for that 
straight up GM role. So um, I, th I think, you know, it's interesting that it seems like they kind of want to plug the holes of um, all these promotions that they've been losing executives to. Yeah. Um, and they added a couple uh, scout scouting people, uh, one from the Steelers, one from the Browns. I think, you know, the Browns have a pretty solid uh, team uh, or have had a pretty solid team the last couple of years. They've had quarterback issues, um, obviously, but uh, they've had talent in various areas. Um, uh, and the Steelers are always a solid team. I think that's a good organization to get a scouting guy from. Uh, yeah. And they had a couple other scouting or personnel internal uh, promotions. Yeah, I, I think one that I was interested to see was we know that Dave Caldwell last year was um, kind of like an advisor. I think officially they announced him last year as a personnel executive. He gets a promotion in title and I would assume one in um, his actual standing and his impact. He's now the director, or sorry, he's, he's now the senior personnel director and advisor to the general manager. Um, you know, I think we've definitely seen the Eagles' interest in former uh, Jaguar players, notably uh, Gardner Minshew, Josiah Scott. So I think the Eagles liked what he brought to the team last year. So I think he has a bit more of a grasp on the front office now. So that in combination with Halaby and Ferrari, that's kind of, in my mind, the new brain trust. Um, and the guys that you just mentioned, Brandon Hunt, formerly of the Steelers, he's now the director of scouting, and Charles Walls of uh, the Browns, formerly their national scout, he's now the director of player personnel for the Eagles, along with Alan Walking, who was an internal promotion, formerly the director of college scouting, now the co-director of player personnel. So I think those are kind of the, the new names, the new brain trust. Um, interesting that it's, there wasn't a whole lot of external candidates, or not, I shouldn't say candidates because I'm sure they did interview them, but a lot of this, it seems like the Eagles are saying they are very confident in their development of their internal candidates. And that's, that's what we saw through uh, the list of uh, promotions that were announced yesterday. Yeah. Uh, I can't say I know what any of these people do. You know, <laughs> right. I can, I can uh, guess generally based on their titles, but uh, you know, good, good on good that they, uh, you know, like their, their own people and can promote from within and all that stuff. We yeah, love the, to see upward mobility in companies. Yeah. The name that I was the most familiar was Alec Hallaby. He was uh, a name that I forget at this point, but I forget if it was last off season or the one before, I think it was at the very end of last season, uh, right around the time uh, when Peterson was fired and they were kind of going about their candidate search. Hallaby's name was mentioned in kind of these power struggles and rifts between the analytics side of the building and the scouting side of the building. It seems like that's always kind of the, the trope of the front office, like the football guys versus the analytic guys. And Hallaby was certainly 
uh, very close with Howie Roseman and a lot of the kind of like the football guy side of it and the scouts who, you know, more of the eye tests versus like the charts and graphs and whatever analytic stuff you want to talk about. Um, there was always kind of this grudge of like Hallaby kind of has his ways and, you know, his analytic um, outputs are like trusted more than what the scouts see. So, um, you know, how, how he's always been very trusting with the analytics and now well, one of his assistant GMs is Hallaby. So that was a name that um, jumped out to me. All right. Uh, I think a news item moving on uh, that, that I found interesting is uh, uh, offensive coordinator Shane Steichen uh, had a comment on on the play calling from last year. Uh, he said, quote, I think last year we were a new staff. We were evolving as an offense. As the season got going on, I ended up taking over more of the play calling midseason. Um, and he said that he'll be calling the plays next year and we'll go from there. So uh, I was under the impression, as I believe you were, and probably uh, everyone, uh, since this is news and significant, that uh, Nick Sirianni was the play caller for all of last year. So, um, you know, I, I think that it's it's nice that there's some delegation and Nick Sirianni's like evolving the the coaching staff as as he sees fit, and that's that's his stamp and you know he should do what he thinks is right um i i am interested to see how that goes forward i know they they said nick sirani is more involved with the game planning and overall type stuff um yeah i think as the number one running offense in the league the second half of the year last year uh you know play calling might not have been the the you know, relying on the run so much, there's only so many run plays to, to call. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not a football strategist or anything, so I might sound ignorant in saying that, but uh, I, I would be more interested the way the league's trending and trying to see how Jalen Hurts develops into a passer, uh, how the play calling will evolve this year, especially with more weapons around uh, Jalen Hurts. So, you know, being such a run heavy offense, uh, I think was a large part in how good the offensive line is. So um, I'm not sure how like innovative the, the team was uh, from a play calling perspective overall. Um, but I did think that they made the right calls to switch to more run heavy offense, given the um development of the quarterback, the strength of the offense, all that stuff. Yeah. And I, I do think like, this is the, this is a type of thing. If you just saw kind of like a tweet rather than the full quote, I think you might get a different impression. Uh, Steichen, I thought was very careful in saying that like Sirianni is still um, fair. Like he, he still has like a very clear and obvious impact on the offensive game planning and design overall. So I still think it's like very much a collaborative effort in like who's making the decisions on the offense side of the ball. And to me, it was kind of like, all right, like it kind of sounds like Steichen gets to pick and choose when calls are made. Like, I don't think he's, he's not making like 
um, executive decisions when it comes to offense, in my mind. That's that's what I've taken away. Like, uh, Steichen's the guy who's making, like, he's, he's putting the calls in, but he's not necessarily making the offensive design, if that makes sense. Yeah, the, the design feels like the in the planning bucket of what Nick Sirianni's doing, but the play selection, uh, yeah. I think, is more of a, like... Like, before I, I, it was just Peterson and Peterson. Yeah. Now this sounds like it's a bit more of a group effort, which I'm not crazy about because I, 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 I think most people would... Um, agree that you know too many cooks in the kitchen ends up with like something that's not as effective but if they have a good um you know way about um you know just coming together and making up better decisions together i think as long as you have a short list of who's doing that stuff like i think that's good and based off of what he said like we we did see a better offense around mid-season so to me this is a good thing um and I, I still think like Sirianni is probably like the quote-unquote mastermind behind the offense but it's yeah. good to see that he feels comfortable enough to uh as you put it delegate these responsibilities because I, I think that is a you do want a coach who is collaborative and trusting of the coaches that he wants to have on his staff yeah I think I I, I would imagine that like Sirianni is play designing scheming against the team the the team that week and they have a series of uh plays that they run that Steichen then can choose from so it's mm -hmm. it's a Sirianni offense um my like my understanding last year is Steichen sort of surveying the what the defense is presenting um you know what he's seeing and kind of relaying that info sort of like assisting um uh, Sirianni in deciding on the play to call right. um and also like being the point person from all the position coaches on offense and coordinating that that type of stuff i'm sure every coaching staff runs differently but like sort of the get information gathering to give to Sirianni so he can take that and then decide which play to call now it seems like Steichen is sort of taking on more responsibility uh so I don't know I'd be curious to to see how it works I'm not obviously on the sideline there to to see mm -hmm. how how it's done but um yeah I, I just thought that was an interesting quote because um it seemed like Sirianni was the mean play caller all last year so right. and they made the playoffs and then they lost immediately but <laughs> yeah um yeah we'll we'll see and then uh OTA started uh yet uh this week yesterday yesterday two days That's ago yesterday, yesterday. For the Eagles um I saw a lot of buy stock in Devante Smith year two that sounded pretty nice uh yeah you know, a lot AJ of... Brown said in my opinion he's a wide receiver one which is just you know great great gassing up from a teammate who yeah is certainly the wide receiver one <laughs> um in my yeah. mind what, what what's your take on that who do you think what 
like not that not that there is ever a, like well I, I guess typically there is a very clear distinction in who is uh, wide receiver one who who is it in your mind at this well, point well I think it's easy to say that comment because they're not they're they're so different in their like the type of receivers that they are that they won't really like they're they're not necessarily like competing against each other for opportunities um i mean they kind of are like in my mind wide receiver one is the guy that who will be getting the most targets or he'll be he'll be getting the um you know he's the target on this big play in the red zone like he's the guy that you go to when you really need a play in your mind I think I think AJ Brown all around gives you more for those type of situations with size and speed and strength. Um, But I also think that he commands a lot of attention and so does Devontae Smith. So, uh, you know, I, I, I I hate to like keep relying on that because it's like, Oh, they're gonna, they're gonna shade people towards AJ Brown. Devontae Smith's gonna, be open and this and that but uh and granted like james harden was very disappointing but like that was a lot of the talk with uh james harden even before the nets trade of like you have to account for joel you have to account for Harden. like someone's always going to be open in the corner this or that and it like obviously didn't work out but um uh i I think on seeing how it works on the field is is gonna be the best test of of you know who's truly wide receiver one and two uh i i think it's pro you know it's aj brown but mm-hmm. uh, i think that Devonte smith will be mostly a full drive type target and then as the field shortens like aj brown can be the uh bigger body guy red zone guy yeah. Um, but I mean, AJ Brown's so good that he can be all of that as, as well. So I, I just think red zone wise, it makes more sense. Like Elliot Shore parks tweeted that like AJ Brown and Dallas Goddard are almost similar sizes, like having a receiver be like that big and fast and stuff like that is like really wild. And mm-hmm. they haven't had a guy like that since TO. So yeah, how would how would you rank like right now as a prediction? How would you rank their twenty twenty two total targets between those two and Dallas Goddard? Like, what does your gut I, say? I know I that really, there's probably some uh, like looking at last year's to help inform, but like we're just right now without like, what does your gut say about that pecking order of targets? I feel like Goddard's. It's probably AJ Brown Goddard. Smith. Yeah, I feel like um, but with the drop issues with Goddard last year and like the hype around having actual receivers, because I feel like they've they've had really good tight ends for many years now. Um and like Zach Ertz was the leading receiver for a couple of years in a row, and I think that they're they've been a tight end is basically another receiver type offense for a long time. So moving away from that, I think is like doable, but um, 
the the way that they've utilized the tight end position for so long, I feel like that's that's a, another like identity thing that they might not move away from so quickly. Um, Goddard's not the uh, Goddard, I think, is a better blocker than Ertz was, but I don't think he's like much better a great blocker. Oh, really? Uh, no, everything uh, that I've seen, especially from uh, uh, Baldy, like he's the best. Like it's probably between him and Kittle as far as best um, pass catcher and dual blocker. Like I, I, uh, he's good at blocking. He, he so, can just yeah, handle guys. But he's so good at uh, at the pass catching part of it that uh, I don't know that they would. Yeah, he's not. He's not a, like a designated he's one of the blocker. Top often. five paid tight ends in the league. So, um, I I I feel like he's going to be second, but. Um, I don't know. I think they, they have a lot of weapons and it's probably dictates how the defense plays, uh, you know, as usual, but uh, probably Brown Goddard Smith, but I think Devonte Smith probably should be very involved in, in the offense. Oh, yeah. I agree. I'll and uh, from OTAs, his best passes were to Devonte Smith, uh, a couple deep passes and Smith beat slay and uh you know, I've uh, all the coverage I've seen is all those were pretty good. Uh, uh, you know, coverage that was beaten. All the all the journalistic coverage says that it was good football coverage uh, de- defensively. So, um, and there was one deep pass that hurts overthrew AJ Brown that uh, so I was thrown in there. So that's you know, it's OTAs. I would be concerned if by the end of training camp that was still like not as corrected but uh i don't know we'll we'll see now i'm curious did you see this one uh a bit of this is like the most amusing funny thing that i saw about ota reporting so a few of the like jordan mylata jason kelsey and i forget the other offensive linemen who weren't in attendance yesterday um, but <laughs> Isaac Sayamalo was there, uh, which I'm glad, you know, he's back and healthy now, but they were saying that the absences, or at least the theories presented were that the absences of so many of the offensive linemen was because of Brett Toast. Uh, I guess he's getting married this weekend. Uh. It's like a, a lot of the dots connected were like, I guess, I guess Sayamalo wasn't invited. Wasn't invited. Yeah. Wow. That's <laughs> interesting. Is, no, I didn't of, uh, see that some uh offensive well, lineman tea <laughs> yeah i don't know we'll have to we'll have to follow that and see if there's any developments um do you have any other ota stuff um i feel like it was just the first day like I no i mean there's a, there's Miles a bunch Sanders. of comments floating around like it's i mean it's just kind of nice to see that like the players are back and we're hearing from them a lot of new faces like even still just like seeing aj brown like seeing him at the press conference like goodness this guy's like jacked like he's just so muscular yeah i can't wait to see what he can do on the field with the eagles uh seeing jordan davis behind like the press conference table and like oh my gosh like (laughs) he he, yeah he really feels like uh you know he's like bigger than fletcher cox which is hard to hard to be um and he also seems very uh gregarious a character much like brandon graham so you know yeah. just excited to see um new faces and what they can do on the field 
Yeah, Jordan Davis, I think, was the other big note of uh, his his personality seems to be like really like a culture setting type guy. Um, I saw something that like Brandon Graham said something that they had to remind him that he's still a rookie because he's at, he's so comfortable around the guys and yeah, uh, they, they're really they're happy. He was sing, singing too much. Yeah. Yeah. Singing too much. <laughs> um, and I, I have a, I have a question to pose to you based on um, Jordan Davis saying that the best thing he's had in Philly so far is a cannoli. Um, so what would your, let's say top, top three, five, if you, if you'd want, um, places to recommend a, uh, a new, a newly signed Eagle, uh, must eat in, uh, in the city. Okay. All right. Well, we, we should make a, are we going to like set aside the cheesesteak thing just cause that's such like an eye roll and I'm sure he's already found the cheesesteak. Um, no, well, I I think that it's like if you say you have to go to like Pat's and Gino's, I would say yeah. You we we should do the side. Delco version of this. Like I think when, Delco when steaks out... are good. I mean, I can I can uh, I can hear the the listeners uh, yelling into their devices that neither of us live in Philly at the right. moment, uh, uh-huh. but um, being. You know, we 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 grew up there and are from there enough to have an opinion. I think. Yeah, um, I, I would certainly like. You know, I'm not gonna do any ranking. Maybe we could just throw out some that come to mind. I would say Lorenzo's get a nice big slice for uh, a guy his size. He could probably uh, house a whole pizza. Yeah. <laughs> <don't know. laughs> How about you? What comes to mind? Yeah, I mean, I think. Um, you know, a full, a full day, uh, you know, a, a breakfast type, uh, thing to do could be, you know, federal donuts, donut mm. from there. Um, and, and some chicken don't, don't yeah, oversell the chicken. chicken. Uh, other, other, there's, um, a breakfast place called, uh, the dandelion I've been to. That's pretty good. Um, Kafar is a nice, uh, cafe and Rittenhouse area. Uh, that's good. Uh, a nice, um, you know, Middle Eastern type breakfast. Uh, I, I think that getting your cheesesteak spot is, uh, is important. So I would say go to you know, Jim's, Del Sandro's, Tri Delco Steak, Steve's, um, Steve's. Um, although I think the Center City location closed or, or moved or something. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. And we uh, and we know he's going to get Rita's since yeah, Rita's John's water ice is good. Did you see the Iron Pigs promo? The Iron no. Pigs are wearing a uh, water ice jerseys. Oh. And uh, um, I guess every year they do a Philly appreciation uh, jersey funny. or something. Um, the next yeah. roast pork next, head over yeah. to Reading Terminal. Yeah, Reading Terminal's a must. All right. He'll learn. He'll find yeah. his way. Yeah. Um, and uh, do you have any other Eagle stuff? No. I would say we we waited a few weeks and we've certainly emptied the tank. Uh, I think that 
this is uh you know we we'll we'll be back uh in another couple of weeks but uh our next podcast will be after this uh marker which is uh basically one month till the big day uh do you have any thoughts any uh uh wedding pre uh, experiences, planning, uh, um, tr- issues, like how, how's the, how's it been for you? And what will this upcoming month be like? Hmm. It's your last, it's yeah, your so, last month. Yeah. Last month as a bachelor. <laughs> Not quite, but yeah. Um, yeah, I would say wedding, all the wedding stuff has been, you know, everything's gone according to plan. I think we got, we still have maybe a few things to take care of, but you know, that's the stuff that you get taken care of right now. I'd say, I would say the toughest part was coming up with the list itself. That's a, it's a bit of a task, but you know, that was taken care of a bit ago. Um, right now we're kind of, I mean, we, we got the food stuff taken care of. Um, now, now comes the hard part. And at least in my opinion, we're going to be doing our own vows. So that's, that's my big to do between now and, day of gotta get the uh the, the, uh, the thesaurus out there <laughs> yeah sure um, you, got the... you know picking out picking out some songs so that's fun but yeah overall just uh really looking forward to it can't wait to uh see everyone obviously you'll be there mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so i mean it's also we're gonna been a live long... pod uh right after <laughs> yeah pod at the reception of course i'm sure that would go over very well uh, but yeah, just excited. Can't wait for it to happen. And also looking forward to the honeymoon. So a lot to look forward to. All right. All positive uh, uh, wedding thoughts at this point. Uh, seems like it's going well. Um, all right. So we'll be back, uh, I guess, when there's news, if there's news. Um, OTAs continue, I believe. Uh, and yeah. yeah we'll, I, see if, we'll see if they do anything at safety. I think that's the last... Yeah, you know, not I'm not saying that they will, but if there's a place to make a move, I think it's that position. So who yeah, knows? I, I know they like Epsilon and Harris is seem fine, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll see. Um, all right, so for Mike, I'm Ian, and thanks for listening.